This morning we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from our God. Lord, we know that the work that you have promised to do in us through your word and through your spirit has eternal consequences and will bear eternal fruit. Lord, as we hear from you now, we pray that you would work powerfully, bring repentance and faith in our lives. Pray that you would work holiness and perseverance in us. And we pray, Lord, that you would be preparing us to join you soon in heaven. We pray that you would do this In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Luke chapter 5, or Luke chapter 9, sorry. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. We're now at the end of our series in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Remember what we've been looking at in these past couple of weeks, we've looked at the whole chapter, and the whole chapter has asked two basic questions. Who is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him? We're going to see both of those again as we look at this passage together. So Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
Jesus said to him, Leave the the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is is certainly a, a challenging passage. At one level, it's, it's just plain challenging to understand. When Jesus says, for instance, let the dead bury their own dead, what, what does he mean by that? It's not, it's not immediately obvious about what Jesus means by some of the things he says here. So this passage is maybe challenging to understand. But actually, this passage, even more, is challenging to do. I've been convicted personally as I've looked at this passage And I think about the commitment that Jesus calls me to, and then as I look at what I'm actually doing. Maybe you feel like me when you hear these words from Jesus, as you start to realize the commitment that Jesus calls each one of his disciples to. But whether you feel convicted or not, I know that each one of us needs to grow in following Jesus. That's what Jesus is focusing on this passage. What does it look like to follow me? And he has one basic point that he makes in the entire passage. He makes it three times in three separate encounters with three separate men. And this is the one basic point. Jesus calls each of us to true, costly discipleship in union with him. Jesus calls each one of us to true, costly discipleship in union with him. Again, there are three men. There are three men he meets, and there are three issues that are actually preventing them from being his disciples. So we're going to look at those three men and the problems. Now, Jesus' call challenges each one of these men, and it challenges us. First, Jesus challenges our expectations, Second, we see that Jesus' call challenges our priorities. And third, we see that Jesus' call challenges our focus. So expectations, priorities, and focus. So look at verses 57 to 58. The very beginning, we see that Jesus' call actually challenges our expectations. First man we encounter in this passage is very eager to join Jesus. He confidently declares to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. We have to admire the total commitment that this man shows to Jesus. Actually, it gets better because if we look at the story in the book of Matthew, we see that this man was actually a scribe. That means he studied the Bible and he was actually very well respected. So this scribe, with this kind of commitment to Jesus, he would seem like the ideal disciple. He's committed He's knowledgeable. He's respected. He's everything you would want in your church. But Jesus provides the first shock of the passage when he directly, publicly challenges this very man. He says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Those are some pretty stunning words. Jesus is describing his own life. And he's saying that his life is a life of hardship. Even the animals, if you went outside and you looked at the birds or you saw a fox, they have a better life than Jesus does. 
Jesus, when he talks about those things, he's focusing on even lacking the very basic things in his life. He says he has nowhere to lay his head. Now, he doesn't mean he can't find a place to sleep. He always has a place to sleep every night. But he's saying, I have no home. That is not something that is true of me anymore as I'm serving God. Think about a trip that you've been on recently. It's always good to go away. Maybe you've been away for a little while. But as nice as that trip is, I think we're almost always glad to be home again, right? We've always been actually missing that, that familiar feel of home when you walk in the front door. You miss those creature comforts all around the house. Do you realize that Jesus voluntarily gave up all of those things? Everything about having a home, not just for a two-week vacation, but for three years of hard ministry. When Jesus says these words then, when he describes his life, he is challenging this man's expectations. What did that scribe think it would be like to follow Jesus? Did that man even count the cost of living and serving like Jesus? Those two questions are actually really important because the reality is that Jesus' disciples live the same kind of life that he did. Jesus actually makes this point in the Gospel of John. He says the same phrase twice. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. And the second time that Jesus says that, in John 15, he's actually talking specifically about how the world is going to hate his disciples. He says, they hated me, they will hate you. A servant is not greater than his master. So what Jesus told this man, having no home, that's really only the beginning. That's only the, really, the beginning of suffering like Jesus. So Jesus is challenging this man with a message of suffering. But Jesus also challenges our expectations as well with that same message of suffering. What do we expect from following Jesus? What do we expect from following Jesus? I've met people, you may have met people as well. Some people come to church and they want to follow Jesus because they expect that Jesus will give them things. Have you met someone like that? Maybe Jesus will give me a, a sense of purpose. Maybe Jesus will give me a sense of belonging. Maybe he'll give me good health. Maybe he'll give me money. Maybe he'll teach my kids good morals. Maybe, and this is the best case, maybe Jesus will give me salvation. And it's true. The one truth of that is that Jesus does give great blessings to his people. But when you only expect blessings from Jesus, you aren't listening to him. All of those people who come seeking for the blessing of Jesus only are not listening to Jesus and what he is actually telling them. If I could also say this, sometimes we're actually guilty of giving people some of those very same false expectations. Let me give you an example. When I was a child in school, we, we sang a song. I'm not going to sing it for you now. But some of the things it said is that you will get gumdrop holidays and you will feel cinnamon singing inside when you invite Jesus into your heart. Okay, there's some truth to that, right? But let me tell you, that was not realistic to how I've experienced the Christian life. Every day of my Christian life has not been a gumdrop holiday. Now, I wish they had been teaching us when peace like a river. Because when peace like a river, yes, but also when sorrows like sea billows roll. 
that captures the Christian life so much better. We need to be careful as we explain our faith to others to say the good and the bad. Did you know Jesus, Jesus didn't sugarcoat the reality? He didn't tell this man, oh, it'll be all right. Yeah, we aren't staying at the Hilton, but you know, you know, we're going to stay somewhere else. No, he did not sugarcoat the reality of following Christ, and we can't either if we're going to be faithful to him. So that's as we think about some others. But you know what? We do the same thing. We might not always be looking for the blessings of Jesus. We, we also sometimes come with false expectations. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know by experience that the Christian life is difficult. right? Just think about that constant battle of sin that we're called to. Think about the, the pressure from the world or the temptations of Satan. And even as you know the, the struggle, you know that the blessings that Jesus gives are real. There are great blessings in the Christian life. There's salvation, forgiveness, that restored relationship with God. He gives us daily strength. We have the hope of heaven. I mean, the list could go on of all the good things that God does give us in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean that the difficulties just disappear. Suffering and blessing are both part of the Christian life. But so often, so often we still find that our expectations clash with the reality that Jesus has for us. Let me give you an example. The reality is that Jesus calls each one of us to constantly battle sin. I was reading my devotions this week from Romans 5 and 6, and Paul captures that so well. Paul describes the battle this way. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. What Paul is saying, what God is calling us to do is very simple. Fight sin, serve God. But that's where our expectations step in. Because what are our expectations sometimes about sin? Have you ever found yourself thinking or saying something like, why is fighting sin so hard? Maybe sometimes you say, you know what? It doesn't really matter, does it? I don't... I can just do that. It'll be okay. God will forgive me. Or something like, do I really have to pray and work at it like every single day? Really, God? Those kinds of things that hopefully we may not say, but they're still in our mind. They show us what our expectations, that we are expecting an easier Christian life than what God calls us to. It's true about sin, but also think of what are our expectations for service. Because the reality is that Jesus calls each one of us to service, costly service, in the body of Christ. But what are some of our expectations? Why did God bring that person into my life? You ever thought that? Or, you know what, that, that, that sounds too hard or, or it's too long. Maybe, maybe I don't need to volunteer for that one. Or, you know, I think I've done enough encouraging or, or praying or serving. I, I don't really need to do any more at the moment. Each of those things, again, is showing that we have a different expectation of the Christian life than what Jesus does. But something that encourages me so much in times of suffering and struggle, when I, when I feel that clash between what I want and what God wants, is knowing that God's grace is truly, utterly sufficient for the situation he's brought me into. Maybe I can say it another way. My strength always seems to fit my expectations. And if it doesn't, I just lower my expectations and I'm good. 
But God's grace, this is important, God's grace always fits his expectations for you. Think, think, think about Paul. That famous passage where he talks about that thorn in the flesh, right? What does God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. God encourages us by giving us his own grace and strength to meet his expectations for us. So Jesus and God are challenging us, challenging our expectations of following him. But in this passage, we also see Jesus in his call challenging our priorities. Look at verses 59 to 60. Now, now this first man that we just saw, he came right up to Jesus. But Jesus now in these verses seeks out this second man. And he publicly calls him to a life of discipleship. Just two words, follow me. Jesus did the same thing when he called his first disciples. Remember Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls Simon, James, John, and also Levi, Matthew. He calls all of them, and he does it basically in the same way. He walks up to them, and he tells each one of them, follow me. And with those disciples, Jesus commands, and the men drop everything to follow Jesus. It's amazing to think about it. They literally walk off the job. They literally leave everything behind to follow Jesus. That is commitment. But in Luke 11, or Luke 9, as we see Jesus confronting this man, we encounter a very different response to Jesus' command to follow him. See, this man says, Jesus says, follow me, and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Okay? Service level, this man has a, has a very respectable reason, actually, for refusing Jesus' command. There's a great need in my family, Jesus. I can't come and serve you right now. Now, it's not clear whether this man means that he needs to wait until his father dies, so he's thinking a time period of many years, or if it's kind of like the funeral is soon, and so he can come right after, maybe just in a few days. It's not clear from the text what this man means. But in either case, this man seems to be actually showing respect for his father. He's obeying the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. But that's actually what makes Jesus' next word so unexpected. Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That should be a shock, right? Jesus' words here, they may feel insensitive, to say the least, or maybe even wrong. I mean, again, shouldn't this man be honoring his parents? Isn't that his God-given biblical duty? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, but Jesus is dramatically reminding this man and us that we cannot let anything, even something that is good, have greater priority than serving God. See, the way that, the, that Jesus challenges this man here is striking. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus is commanding the man to let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. The spiritually dead, those people in this man's family who have not yet believed that Jesus is the Savior, let them be responsible for the funeral. Let them do the grieving. But you, Jesus is saying, you come and proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim that Jesus the King has come and he is bringing his salvation and rule. 
Now, if you remember from where we started in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, this exact command to proclaim the kingdom of God, this is what he told his disciples to go and do. They are supposed to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That proclamation is a mark of being a true disciple of Christ. But I, I really still feel a tension here with what Jesus has just said. Maybe you do too. Because I want to be a faithful Christian, and, and part of that faithfulness is to be a faithful son. It's to be a faithful husband. It's to be a faithful father. So is Jesus calling us to sacrifice our families for him? Is that what he's telling us to do? You know, I, I think some very godly Christians have actually arrived at that kind of conclusion, right? They have sacrificed their family for ministry. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying because that kind of sacrifice can be sinful sacrifice. That's not what Jesus is commanding here. No, Jesus is saying that family is important, but there may be times when serving him must take priority. Let me give you a simple example from my own life. A few years ago, I was getting up early with the, with the boys, and I was really struggling to have my devotions in the morning time. Because when I woke up, I went like immediately into dad mode. It was like, okay, what am I, how can I help you? Let's get breakfast going. Let's do all these things. And an older friend, I, I told this to somebody, and this older friend encouraged me. He said, just, just give the boys a toy. Just give them a book and go have your devotions. Most of those boys' needs, they can wait a minute. But worshiping God is more important. See, my priorities as a Christian and as a father were in the wrong order. It's just one simple example. What about bigger examples? Where do our priorities get mixed up? Let's think about family again. When do we feel the tension between family and God? Maybe I can say it another way. When should we feel the tension? Because especially with family, I've noticed, especially with family, we often don't see the conflict between our worship of God, our serving of God, and also how he's called us to be in our family. Let me use an example again. Family vacations and worship. This is a challenging one because when we go into vacation, we can get into like vacation mode, right? We want to spend time with our family. That's all good but we don't want to forget to spend time with God. Make it a priority when you're with your family to go to church on Sunday, no matter where you are. Worship God as he's called you. Spend time in personal and family worship. Those things should still happen. You don't get a free pass when you're on vacation. I'm sure there are other examples that you can feel, maybe with your own family, where there might be a tension between what God calls you to serving him, and also still being part of your own family. But we don't feel this tension only about our family. God has given us other good priorities as well. Think about work. It's another one that we all do. We should desire to be good employees, right? We should be working hard for God and not just for our human employer. But here, too, we can still get our priorities out of order and begin to serve work more than we serve God. If you find work, getting in the way of your relationship with God, you need to cut back. You need to put your priorities in the right order. Our goal, first and foremost, is to serve God. And Christ, as he's explaining that, is making a very clear point that service to him, especially in labors that are directly related to spreading the kingdom of God, those labors have precedence over everything else in our lives, 
even other commands that God has given us. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to be at every church event, right? I've met people like this, fallen foul of it myself. Don't have to go to every single thing at church. You don't have to serve on every single committee. But as you and I look at our priorities, are there things getting in the way of serving God that need to be rearranged? Think about that for your own life. I don't have any magic answers. Something that I struggle with as well. But I've noticed that faithfulness in smaller situations will often lead to faithfulness in more difficult or unclear situations. So start small now in seeking to prioritize your relationship with God and the church. And also, as we think about these issues, we need great humility, and we need God, we need God to give us wisdom to navigate our priorities in service to Him. So Jesus has challenged our expectations. He's also challenged us to look at our priorities. And third and finally, he challenges us about our focus, verses 61 to 62. The the third and final man here, he, he boldly proclaims his willingness to follow Jesus. But there's just one catch, right? He says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. It's just a basic point in the Christian life. There should never be a but. I will follow you. Nothing else after that. But this man has a whole other reason why he can't do it right now. And at first glance, what he says here, again, sounds reasonable. He's making a reasonable request. He's ready to leave his home and family for an unknown length of time, so he wants to say goodbye first. But Jesus questions this man's focus. He says, is he fully committed to Christ? Or is he torn between Christ and his former life. Listen to what Jesus says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That image is of a farmer plowing a field. Once he begins plowing, once he puts his hand to the plow, he should not look back. He shouldn't be looking back over his shoulder at that nice, cozy house that he's left over there and thinking, oh, how nice it would be to be back there right now. Why shouldn't he be doing that? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? If he does that, he's not going to be plowing well. He's not going to make a straight furrow in the ground. He's not going to be looking at the rocks that he has to take out of the way. He will not be committed to the job that he has. Now, we all know what it's like to be distracted, right? We all know when our mind is elsewhere. But what Jesus is condemning here is a much bigger problem than simply being distracted. Jesus is saying is that there is a great danger in Christian discipleship in spiritually looking back, in being committed to something else. And that's definitely true when it comes to sin. We should never find ourselves downplaying or even even thinking positively about our past sins. But we can also do this with, with past situations too. It was so much better when. How would you fill in that blank? It was so much better when the kids were small. So much better when I didn't have this diagnosis. It was so much better when things made more sense. God is not calling us to follow him in the past. God is calling us to follow him now. In this situation that he has brought each one of us into now. That can be hard. That can be challenged. Everything that Jesus has said in these verses is challenging to us as we think about what it means to follow Christ. You know, as I thought about these words of Jesus and actually the entire passage, 
I thought of somebody else than these men. I thought of Peter. I thought of Peter. Here was a man, Peter, who eagerly left his family and his job to follow Jesus. And yet in the end, what did he do? He deserted Jesus. Peter is an example for every disciple of Jesus. He's an example of God's power and God's forgiveness for his disciples. Again, what made Peter walk away from his boat and follow Jesus to begin with? Well, it's God's power, right? To change Peter's heart, to be willing to believe and serve Jesus Christ. It's actually that same power of Christ that can make any one of us a disciple of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, remember who we are, sinners who steadfastly resist God's call to obedience, who are working hard not to worship God. When Jesus died on the cross for sinners, that is applied to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. He applies Christ's work to us, and we are changed. We can't go back to following sin. We can't go back to following Satan. We cannot go back to following the world. That is the power of God. But all of us, and hear this clearly, all of us, like Peter, do turn back from Jesus' call to unconditional discipleship. Peter publicly denied that he knew Jesus Christ. Publicly denied him. Do you know that you and I do similar things? We do every day. We do similar things when our expectations are shown to be sinful and self-focused. We've done the same thing. We do it when we find ourselves serving another priority. We do the same thing when we find ourselves losing focus on the road ahead of us. And yet for all these times when we find that we aren't good disciples of Jesus, just like Peter, God's grace is always sufficient. It is always sufficient for every single one of his wandering followers. Jesus forgives and restores Peter. Do you remember that story? And the beautiful hope of the gospel is that is the same for us. For as many times as we follow something else instead of Christ, Christ is willing. Listen, hear this. Christ is willing to call us back to himself, to bring about our repentance yet again, and to commit us to service yet again. Now, some of us beat ourselves up over our sin. It's one response as we look at the ways we failed, right? Sometimes we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we just kind of rationalize it. It was okay. Kind of downplay it. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, your master, does not do that? He is gentle with us, and he is firm with us to bring us back onto the paths of righteousness. But why can Jesus do that? Why can Jesus do that for you and me to bring you back to be his disciple? Why can he treat you with that kind of love and that kind of gentleness when we sin? Part of the answer is because Jesus is the perfect disciple. Think about it. What were Jesus' expectations? He voluntarily voluntarily gave up heaven and its blessings for a road of suffering and death. What were Jesus' priorities? What does he say? My food is due to do the will of my Father. Nothing else interfered. What was Jesus' focus? He kept his eyes firmly fixed on the joy that was set before him, which led him to the cross. 
Christ faithfully walked the path of costly discipleship to God to be able to call you and I to that same path. To provide every help along the way. He gives us power to continue and he gives us forgiveness when we don't. And Christ faithfully walked that path to assure us that that path, it's true, it leads right down through the gates of death But right through there, it leads directly up to heaven. Let me ask you this morning, have you followed Jesus? Or are you like one of these men with reasons why you can't do that right now? You know, on my phone, it's got a great feature. When that alarm goes off, it says, remind me later. Jesus doesn't give you a remind me later button. Jesus is calling each one of us today to follow him. It's true, it's costly to follow Jesus, but it is absolutely critical to follow him. But let me ask you another question. Are you following Jesus? And if you are, take heart, because it's true. As we read a passage like this, the call may sound just just too costly. It's hard. It may feel too much. But remember his love and grace for you. Remember his power and forgiveness for you. He unfailingly, every single time, gives you what you need. No doubt about it. So as we walk together, as we walk together along a costly road, yes, of discipleship, we can do this together, relying completely on him. He is our loving God who knows exactly what we need as our shepherd and as our father and as our king. And he will always give us what he commands. That is something that we can praise him for as we seek to serve him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that Jesus has saved us from our sin and called us to be your sons, to obey you, and to walk the same road that he has. Lord, as we hear words that can be hard, we pray that you would give us faith. Faith to see you as you are, as the one who has the power to make us walk straight to heaven. You have the forgiveness that we need when we stray off the path. And you have the love for us that you will never let us go. We pray that you would make us faithful as we continue to serve you, both now and the weeks and years ahead. Lord, we pray that you would do this work because it is for our good and it brings glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.